what role do I really have in this? In some weird way, it was like an observer. All I could do was trust that the players on the field knew what to do and had what it took to get it done. watching the world cup there's a pretty good chance you might catch a ucla bruin out there on the pitch uh, in this episode we caught up with coach marguerite awazasa she's the head coach of the ucla bruins women's soccer team coach has made history in 2022 becoming the first rookie head coach and first woman of color ever to win the ncaa division one women's soccer championship she was hired in 2021 as the sixth head coach in UCLA women's soccer history and quickly guided the team to the program's second NCAA championship and a school record tying 22 victories. Her staff was also named the United Soccer Coaches National Staff of the Year. She was the first, as a first-year head coach, Marguerite led UCLA to a number one national ranking for the final nine weeks of the season with the Bruins ascending the top spot after a sweep of number two Duke and number one North Carolina. She was voted the Pac-12 Coach of the Year, becoming the first rookie head coach ever to win the honor. Prior to UCLA, she was a coach at Stanford, where she led the team to huge success over seven seasons, helping guide the Cardinal to NCAA championships in 2017 and 2019, and Pac-12 titles from 2015 to 2019. If you listen to the podcast, you know I love talking to coaches. I love talking to them, not just about... Uh, their philosophy, but I like talking to them about how they think about player development, how they think about connecting with young people who we all know are the future of our workforce. So I wanted to catch up with Coach on a bunch of stuff. I wanted to talk to her about what's changing about coaching. I wanted to talk to her about what the best part of the job is. I wanted to talk to her about what her goals are for her people. And if you watched the Women's National Championship game against North Carolina, you would have noticed that the UCLA Bruins were down two nil going in to the final minutes of the game before storming back for a win. I wanted to ask coach, what do you think in that moment? What do you say to your team in that moment? You're not going to want to miss her answer. So with that, here's coach Marguerite Awazasa, head coach of UCLA's women's soccer team. Let's bring it in. Jump right in. I'm sure you've never been asked the question about uh, your background, but I think to maybe start us off, can you share a little bit about um, your your coming up as a coach uh, from where you were to where you are today? Yeah, so my pathway to college coaching was fairly atypical in that I didn't have being a collegiate head coach like on my radar. It wasn't a goal I was working towards very intentionally. In fact, I was very much immersed in the youth game and I absolutely loved it. Loved the development side of that. I loved just guiding like young players through really integral times in their life um, as they kind of became older, older young adults, if you will. Um, and so I was doing my thing in Northern California, enjoying that, had just finished college. And maybe two years after I graduated, there was an opening at Stanford um, as an assistant coach. And in the soccer world, having your first paid job at Stanford is totally out of this world. It doesn't typically happen. Um, but it was, you know, me kind of knowing the right people, having proven myself in the right ways up till then. And, and quite honestly, the head coach there, Paul Ratcliffe, he really took a chance on me. So he hired me when I was 24 years old, 
very young in the game, had just finished up playing. Um, and I ended up staying at Stanford for seven years, really kind of learned the ropes there, got a lot of great experience. I felt incredibly empowered um, as a younger coach in that role. And then just about a year and a half ago, um, the UCLA head coaching job opened up. Once again, it wasn't something I was seeking per se, but it was kind of one of those moments where the stars aligned. I had a lot of people behind me encouraging me to go for it. And here I am. Thankfully, my first year went quite well. <laughs> um, and now we're going to keep on trying to trying to repeat that basically yeah. for the rest national, of my career. National championship. National championship <laughs> yeah. first year is not a bad place to start. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I guess, wh what are you thinking about uh, coming out of a national championship season? Um, what, what are the things going through your mind as a coach, as a leader, uh, as you try to kind of climb that mountain again? Yeah, the biggest challenges we face so far is how to manage success. I think there's so many conversations going on about how do we manage failure? How do we rebound? Stuff like that. But we don't talk as much about how to manage success, how to maintain success, while also fostering flexibility and adaptability. Um, one interesting thing about the college game is every year our team is incredibly different than the year before, even just by nature of personnel. There's a lot of turnover because we have players graduating. We also have an entire incoming class. So that is something we really need to take to heart is how do we both maintain the things that got us to where we were last year, the things that really bolstered our run towards the championship while also having the flexibility to change things along the way to accommodate the new group we have. So it's kind of a very interesting balancing act. Um, but that's kind of been our approach over the last six months is how do we identify what led us to success while also keeping our minds open to making changes where needed. You know, the, the turnover point you make is obviously real in your world. And it's also a real problem today in a lot of industries, like in, in restaurants, for example, turnover is 130% year over year, which means from Jan one to Jan one, not just losing everybody, you're losing, you know, 30 more people out of a hundred person staff. Uh, and you're constantly like rebuilding your culture, your re retraining. Um, I guess any, any insights that you could share that, um, you know, for business leaders out there or folks thinking about how they um, kind of reload and and develop quickly, uh, any, any things that you've learned about that process? Yeah, the first thing we do, and this is how we handle a lot of um, our challenges, is we try to face it head on and we often bring our group in together and ask them to name any concerns, hesitations, um, anxieties they may have going forward about the turnover and how our group has changed. Um, I think when you get everybody in a room together and talk about some of those things that are causing them a little distress, then we can address it further. So we do kind of a diagnostic of sorts. Um, then it's a lot about empowering players. So, you know, maybe we lost a great vocal leader. Well, then we need to find somebody in our group today that can fill that role and help them to develop that. Um, we feel as a staff that so many of the behaviors that we want to see from our players are in fact learned behaviors. So even kind of these ambiguous things termed leadership or culture, all of those are made up of behaviors. And so we try to be very intentional about 
teaching our players kind of how to lead, teaching them how to, for instance, in the vein of leadership, have hard conversations or hold someone accountable. Um, and we try to basically just put everything out on the table and encourage our players to ask questions and encourage them to um, rehearse maybe some of the harder situations they may find themselves in um, so that with some supervision, we can kind of guide them towards what we want. And I think that open communication, that willingness to name anticipated challenges has been one of our greatest strengths. What's it like working with athletes who, I mean, the young women who you work with every day uh, are at one end of the talent spectrum in all of collegiate athletics. They are, you know, the they have a tremendous amount of skill and capability and ability when they show up. Um, what is it like to work with that caliber of player? Uh, and I ask that from the frame of, you know, as a coach, when you're developing skill and what, what, what do you have to take into consideration when you're working with, you know, players who see themselves as highly skilled and highly talented or coming yeah. from the best teams or probably coming from the best club teams and the best uh, programs. Yeah. On the plus side of working with this group of players, the level of intrinsic motivation is very high. So rarely do we have to kind of like demand more from our players, all of them, for the most part, they either came here to win a championship or they came here to be in an environment that's going to develop them to play at a higher level, either with a national team or at a professional level. So like rarely do we have to ask them to do more, you know, or like to bring their best effort. And that that's a huge luxury in our field of work, obviously, like just knowing that when we ask them to do something, it's almost a given that they're going to do it to the best of their ability. Um, on the negative side, we have to often arm them with skills to mitigate panic or to kind of uh, counteract perfectionism. I think that's something we really um, not struggle with, but a lot of our players may experience anxiety. They may experience tension, just stuff like that when they face something maybe that is difficult. Um, so we talk a lot about things like emotional regulation. We talk a lot about things like conflict resolution, things like that, that inherently cause them more stress because maybe they haven't faced as much adversity, especially in the realm of soccer. As a, um, as a millennial, it feels like, you know, we're probably done complaining about our generation. Um, Gen Z is, you know, the, the folks you're working with. And um, I have a six-year-old daughter. My wife played college soccer. So my daughter is kicking balls all around the house now. Um, and she's Gen Alpha coach. So, uh, I, I throw out the generation stuff just to ask, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the young people that come out of your program enter the workforce at some point and they're working for other coaches, you know, their next coach uh, and multiple coaches beyond that, that are going to guide them in their, in their pathway, in their careers. What advice do you have for, um, you know, workforce leaders who have to think about how they, you know, carry the torch for the athletes you coach to get the best of them every day when they show up to work? Yeah, I think um, one thing our staff has relied on is this idea of communication and how we approach that. Um, I think gone are the days where we can present something to our team and basically tell them, we're just going to do that because I told you so. Like th those, those days I think are long gone. So we try to um, explain to them 
quite often why we do certain things, why what we do is going to set them up for success, why what we do is going to help them achieve our shared goals. So for instance, our shared goal is to win a national championship. So almost everything we do, we make sure that we're able to explain in a thoughtful way, like how what we're doing today is setting us up to achieve our shared goal. I think that idea is very important and when used correctly can be super powerful. I think the line you have to be careful of like teetering over is this idea of explanation versus justification. Um, like as a leader, I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel I have to justify why I do something. Um, I think inherently, you know, the decisions are mine to make, but it is my responsibility to ensure that the people I'm leading know exactly why we're doing things. And also I, I, I found that our group appreciates insight into what we do and how it feels to do what we do. So, you know, we have to make some really difficult decisions in terms of who plays, in terms of our roster, things that very much affect their livelihood and very much affect their well-being. And um, I think being very open with the humanity of what we do and how it's difficult and how we have to weigh so many things, we have found that then our players have a much kind of greater appreciation for the care that we do put into those decisions. And even if it is hard to hear, they're a lot more receptive. I love that explanation versus justification. Um, yeah, it's a fine line, <laughs> but yeah, that's something we found. Like explanation is super powerful. I um, Justification, I think, is where you kind of have to be careful because then it, justification lends itself much more towards the, like, I'm we're doing it my way. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I listened to a bunch, I was able to listen to a bunch of podcasts and uh, uh, read some stuff uh, that, you know, since the championship that you were on and, you know, you look like you're having a lot of fun now when championship, you're having a lot of fun, I guess. Uh, what's the most fun part about your job as a coach? Um, there's so many parts I love about it. The part that I just gravitate towards is the development side, um, both in the skills kind of on the field, but also off the field. I think we are so privileged to work with a group of players just in terms of where they are in their life, right? It's like 18 to 22 year olds. Um, you see like such incredible development and growth in that time span. And, you know, they come to us having just finished high school, living with their parents. Like it's such a massive transitional moment. That part is so gratifying, like to watch our players walk across the stage for graduation or watch them sign a pro contract. And then to remember like who they were four years ago, as like an 18 year old, just kind of really finding themselves. That part is, I think, super special. And um, we just love it. Like we'll have a player, for instance, who maybe they're struggling in school in their first quarter. And then by the time they're a sophomore, they figured out like study strategies that work for them and just taken ownership of their development in that way. And to see that personal growth is, is by far my favorite part. That's really cool. Winning's fun too. Uh, yeah, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting on the, on the development point, you know, um, the and bring this back even to the challenges in, in the workforce today. You know, we're we're in a world today where so many organizations are um, claiming that they can't find skill, you know, quote skilled workers. They're struggling with a quote labor shortage. Um, as you think about development. Um, 
you know, I'd imagine that you're not afraid of failure when you coach your players and struggle and challenge and competition are all part of the equation. I guess in trying to take an athlete and develop them to the next step or stage in their cycle, what, what would you pinpoint if you had to pinpoint one or a few things that are like absolutely necessary ingredients um, as a coach in order to help an athlete along the next stage in their development cycle? Yeah, let's see. Um, the things that come to mind right away is like you have to equip them to take ownership of their own actions, behaviors, development. So we we kind of see ourselves as like guiding them from not being super self-reliant to ne needing to be self-reliant by the time they leave us. And so we try not to always give them solutions. We try not to always give them answers, but more so support them in kind of coming to their own conclusions, support them in coming to their own, kind of coming into their own ability to achieve things. So for instance, a player that's struggling in school, you know, like we're not going to require them to come into our office and check their homework and revise their essay or something like that. But we might encourage them to come in to then go over a weekly plan and then check in on them for that. So like more so give them tools to be successful as opposed to just kind of giving them the success right there. I think that piece is really, really key. Like seeing ourselves, how we see ourselves in that journey is huge where it's like, we're not here to just make it easier, but we're here to kind of lead you in the right direction. Um, other parts in development, I think helping them like communication skills, I think are hugely important, regardless of what field you go into, you need to be able to relate to people. You need to be able to relate to your peers. You also need to relate to upper management. You also need to be able to relate to anyone who works like for your team. And so we talk a lot about how communication can be used effectively. And I think sports is a great place to do that because not only are you required to communicate well to be successful, but generally you're required to communicate under stressful circumstances, which I'm like, if you can communicate, like when we're down a goal and you're feeling super stressed, then you can hopefully communicate in a more like docile setting. Um, but being thoughtful and intentional with communication is one way that we feel like we're giving them again, tools to be successful beyond our program. You, know, you brought up the the being down a goal. You know, one of the things that someone on my team said I had to ask you, who's a, who's a big fan, said, you know, what's going through your head when you're down two goals in the national championship as a coach? How do you, what, I guess, what goes through your mind and what do you think it? Yeah, like soccer is such a crazy thing because like we don't have timeouts. We don't have ability to talk to our team like when these things are happening. Also in our game, we went down two goals in the second half alone. So the last time I had spoken to them was at halftime and the score was zero, zero. So like in a weird way, we didn't have an opportunity to really intervene. Um, what was really fascinating about the whole experience is what I found myself thinking was basically like, did we prepare them well enough to in some weird way handle this on their own? Because we didn't like, what am I going to say from the sideline? Also, we were playing in front of 
10,000 fans mostly cheering against us. Like they couldn't really hear much of what we were saying in those kind of uh, really critical last 15 minutes. So it really opened my eyes to the importance of preparation and the importance of empowerment. Um, and to an extent, the importance of trust, like it was a very much like my, it, all I could do was trust that the players on the field knew what to do and had what it took to get it done. So there was that part of me where I was thinking, okay, what, what role do I really have in this in some weird way? It was like an observer. Um, but it really just reminded me of how important it is to prepare well and to empower because it wouldn't have served anyone like we needed players on the field that felt they could do that. Um, and I think that was huge to us scoring those two goals to get it back. The other thing, quite honestly, was um, I take my role as a role model very seriously. And I'm a huge, you know, like modeling. I understand the importance of modeling. And so when we were down to one with less than a minute left, there was a huge part of me that was thinking, okay, like, how am I going to act? How am I going to behave to set the tone to how we take this loss? You know, like if I'm going to get super upset and throw a chair or something like then it's going to give permission to everybody to do that. But I needed to lose. I was thinking, OK, how am I going to lose gracefully and lose respectfully in this moment? This kind of very devastating moment. Thankfully, I Didn't things changed. That. Didn't have yeah. to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Uh, Coach, appreciate your time. Last question. I know you're in a really busy time of the year. So, um uh, you know, we're talking, a lot of the people listening are coming to work every day, thinking about how they get the most out of their team, how they uh, coach them up uh, and do it the right way. Um, what is your hope for the future of work? Mm. I would hope that regardless of the field, people feel like what they're doing is meaningful. People feel like what they're doing is positive something they can look forward to. I think the relationships between people play a huge role in that. And I think I say this because I'm in an incredible position, very fortunate position that I look forward to work every day. And I know that that's not people, every person's experience, but the things that I look forward to um, are those, those moments during the day, for instance, the development, the personal growth that we are witness to that make what I do extremely positive and meaningful. So I will hope that we don't lose that essence of work um, and that I really believe the people, the people make that. So even though, you know, things may moving, they may be moving towards a more automated style, you know, it's, do we, can we maintain the value we have in relationships? Coach, thank you for your time. Wishing you all the best, uh, you know, back to back. Yeah, thank you. Here we go. <laughs> you know, it always amazes me when you talk to a college coach because when you talk about turnover, I mean, they deal with turnover. We talk about every season, every four seasons, especially, you're dealing with a complete turnover of your team. Uh, and I love what Coach had to say about, you know, when it comes to turnover, you got to be flexible. I love the fact that she talked about uh, facing challenges. You know, she talked about communication, how we have to share our goals as coaches and we need to explain it in a thoughtful way. I thought there was also something subtle but super powerful about the point 
that there is a difference between explanation and justification and how taking the time to really explain your thoughts to your players helps you achieve more as a leader. But I think it makes sense that a championship coach also talks about the best part of the job being the development of 18 to 24 year olds. I mean, a coach who knows where she wants to be and is excited about the process of making people better. We talk about a trait we need in our managers and our leaders and our coaches today. But out of all of it, uh, I loved her response as we talked about what's happening, what's going through your head when you're down to nothing, when maybe you're not going to hit goal, so to speak. Maybe you're not going to achieve the outcome you planned for your business for the quarter. And when, when you put all of this work in, you've made it to the championship. You've made it to the top of the mountain. You're down 2-0. And you've got to find a way to get the most out of your people. What goes through this coach's head? She said, I asked myself, did we prepare them to handle this on their own? She's thinking about the process of empowerment, of trust, of preparation in that moment. And she said, all I could do was trust. Many leaders out there listening can totally resonate with this moment. Their workforce is out there on, in the field. They're performing their tasks. You may not be able to intervene and you have a choice to make. And I guess that choice depends on how well you did in preparing your people. But if you prepared them really well, you have a choice. Are you going to trust that they're going to be able to perform the way that you prepared them? Or are you going to question? I think there's a lot to relate to as managers and leaders and coaches out there with this, this scenario, this final minutes of the game, this situation where your people are out in the field performing and you have to have a, a trust in their preparation to make sure that you're the type of leader you need to be for your people in that moment that empowers them to perform. I would imagine that the players on the field felt coaches' trust have felt that they were empowered, have probably felt that they were pretty well prepared. And it's for that reason that the UCLA Bruins are the national champion. Because in those final minutes, they trusted. They trusted their coach. They trusted their teammates. They trusted their process. Every organization has something to learn from that story. So thank you to Coach Marguerite Awazasa for joining us and big shout out and ton of respect to her players from the UCLA Bruins who are out there competing in the 2023 Women's World Cup. Now don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work.